In 2020, the United States held its most contentious presidential election in recent memory, perhaps ever. It included an incumbent like no other man who's ever occupied office, and it was held during a time like no other in American history. It was a time when the nation, the world, was being held hostage over a disease with a mortality rate of less than 1%. Once the dust settled, Joe Biden was crowned the president, and in the following year, he would try to rule like a king. But the dust never really did settle. Unlike a normal person who loses an election, Donald Trump never went away. But this was no normal election either. He still maintains that he was the rightful winner of that election. And whatever you make of the fraud allegations, even if you aren't convinced that overtly illegal election fraud did happen, if you are reasonable, you will admit that the election was rigged. It's a fact that major media and big tech and big business collaborated with leftist groups to oust Donald Trump. They even bragged about it in a Time Magazine article right after Trump left the White House. It's also a fact that obvious illegal election fraud happens every year. Every, I mean, every election. There are election fraud related convictions peppered all throughout the nation's courts. In this episode, I'll be talking to an election expert who warned as far back as 1986 that abandoning secure election procedures would result in serious consequences for Americans. And we will take a look at what is happening with all the 2020 election investigations. I'm Paul Dragu, and this is Freedom is the Cure. I'm honored to have in the studio today election expert Kurt Hyde. Mr. Hyde is a retired lieutenant colonel from the U.S. Air Force Reserve. He holds a bachelor's degree in physics and a master's degree in systems management. As an adjunct instructor teaching a systems analysis course at Riviere College in Nashua, New Hampshire in the mid-1980s, he led his students in a study of a computerized voting booth and concluded that it needed what he called a manually recountable ballot. Today, that is known as a voter-verified paper ballot. He introduced that concept in August 14, 1986 at a symposium in Boston. Welcome to Freedom is the Cure, Kurt. Hey, well, nice to be here. Nice to see you. So what is going on uh, with these election integrity investigations around the country? You don't hear about it much in the media, but uh, they're still happening, huh? Well, yes, but um, I would like to start, if we could, maybe with the John Birch Society's history uh, regarding election integrity. Would that be okay? Go ahead, sir. Go ahead. Well, in the October 1976 John Birch Society Bulletin, Robert Welch warned that the equipment and other procedures could jeopardize the quality of our elections and also went on to criticize certain uh, people. And particularly, he said that the communists were never on record as ever having run an honest election in any communist country. Uh, so the John Birch Society was already preparing for this back in 1976. Now, in 1986, that brings us up to a little more modern times, but that's shortly after I was teaching that systems analysis course at Riviere uh, College when I led my students uh, in looking at the computerized voting booth that was getting ready to come out then. And um, that's when I just said, there's a potential problem here. That's mm -hmm. what I identified. I, I identified the potential problems. And then I say, look, this is, this, this is a danger. We need to address it. And that, that? And, and, and that was the fact that there was no paper of any kind involved. So there was no way for the voter to really verify that the computer did what the voter told it to do. The voter could 
the, the computer could display on the screen what you told it to do, but there was no way for you to be sure that it did what, that it actually did what it told you it was going to do. That is not that difficult to do in a computer. And wait, wait, can you say that? Wait, what? So there's no way to verify that it did what the, that it did what the ballot, that it reflected the ballot? Is that That's right. In that case, the ballot was actually just a bunch of lights on a screen mm-hmm. or lights on it with, with a paper cover on a screen. But any computer can tell you one thing on the screen and go do something else to the database. Wow. And that can be done, and we need that verification. We, we need the voter verified. Uh, today it's known as the voter verified paper audit trail or the mm-hmm. paper trail, whatever. And to clarify, there is, are, uh, are municipalities, are they using paper ballots or are they not, they're not using it? Okay, well, today we have a mixture. We have some, uh, especially because of an unconstitutional federal law called HAVA, the Help America Vote Act. Mm-hmm. It forced a lot of people to buy a lot of these computerized voting uh, systems. And some of them have a paper trail. Some of them do not. Some of them have a paper trail that uh, isn't even worth the paper it's printed on because it's so difficult to actually get a recount or to keep track of who's have, who has access, particularly who has access to absentee ballots, mm-hmm. other such things. But still, some of them have the paper trail. Some of them do not. And uh, I, I think that's another problem. <laughs> well, is there any connection between the allegations and the investigations that we saw regarding the 2020 election and the systems that don't have paper trail? Well, the allegations in the 2020 <laughs> are, are so numerous that the answer is yes and no. <laughs> it truly is because... They're there all are, over the place, huh? The allegation as far as what happened... Yes, particularly the people who said that they have actually seen vote swaps mm-hmm. where they were watching the totals being, uh, you know, being on the screen and people were videotaping it. And all of a sudden, one candidate got 5,000 more votes at the same time. The other candidate got 5,000 less. And there was no explanation. Now, was it an error that somebody caught and then corrected? Yeah. Or was somebody tampering with it and just threw 10,000 votes to somebody? which is what these people say probably happened, but you don't really know until you investigate. That's why we do need investigations. We need to get to the bottom of these things. My understanding is that we have quite a few going on. Can you tell us about any of the investigations going on around the country? <laughs> well, yes, and I, <laughs> and I was here yesterday afternoon doing some research on some of them too. Um, and uh, I guess I'd like to start perhaps with, with Arizona. Um, yeah. Because in Arizona, there there are some very good things that came out of that investigation. We did a whole issue some time back on that uh, <laughs> that in Arizona. I, I believe it's the Cyber Ninjas, right? Their their uh, result as far as that investigation. Yes, indeed. And first, let's talk about the things that, at least in my opinion, uh, they did right. Um, and what they did right was they looked at some of the things. They started looking at the paper in those paper ballots mm-hmm. and. Um, and I believe, I forget now, there is a, that's in the report, I think it was 10 or 12 different types of paper that were used mm-hmm. for these ballots. Yeah. So having a paper trail in this case is actually good because now we can look at the paper and say, wait a minute, why wasn't this made from the official kind of paper that's the only paper that was authorized by the state to use for ballots? Where did these ballots come from yeah. that are made of other paper? 
and uh, they didn't go as far into it as I think I would like, so I'll be a little bit critical of it. Yeah. Well, they but, weren't able to verify what the paper was authorized, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, but the state officials kind of got in the way. Is that correct? Yes. The state officials and uh, Maricopa County officials uh, were also uh, uh, involved in this thing, uh, where the president or the CEO of the company that made that paper was originally willing to talk about this. Mm -hmm. And then he was told by some government officials not to talk to the auditors. And now maybe uh, this is only one example. There are also quite a few of the ballots. I guess maybe we'll stick to the paper for first, okay? But this is one of my criticisms of how they they did this. Now, and I, I think I think they did a great job, but I think that they should not have gone with non-disclosure agreements on the part of the people who were involved. I think that by keeping it secret until the very end, they actually kept the news media out, and therefore the liberal news media was able to find one sentence in there that fit the liberals' mm -hmm. uh, narrative, and then, but then they ignored all the other findings. And I think that, that the information should have been made available immediately to the public as soon as the, the CEO of the company that made the paper had said, well, county officials are telling me not to talk to the auditors. Mm. And you're saying that that would have been important because if it happened during the investigation, it might have righted the path to some degree? or Yes, it could have. It could have. We were both speculating, but, right. uh, but it would have been nice to have had the news photographer saying, well, they haven't finished their report yet, but here's something important that's mm. already happened. Wouldn't that be a good news article yeah. and an interview and then... It may result in pressure and then a change of course, right? That's right. Go to the Maricopa County officials now and watch them. You've seen those people on those. Watch uh, them squirm. It's like, <laughs> why, why, why are you not talking to them? Why are you not giving them what they need to, to thoroughly do their investigation? Right? right. With the cameraman following behind and the reporter with the microphone in his hand saying, why are you telling this guy not to talk to the auditors? Yeah. And this guy's running into his office at the, <laughs> yeah. in, in the government office. And I think that would have been, uh, that would have put some pressure on him. That uh, would have helped in the investigation. Where are we now in Arizona? That, that's been, it's been some time since that report was concluded. The liberal media, of course, is, has long watched that as, as nothing. Uh, we did a report. We said that's, that wasn't the case. In addition to was it the hundreds of thousands of uh, corrupted images and whatnot, there were several other uh, issues that we found. Where is Arizona now as far as their election integrity efforts? The, I just called to some people that I know in there to ask about it. And including the John Birch Society coordinator who is there, and um, they they have become uh, stymied in the elect in in the process of trying to in in, in the legislative process. They're trying to uh, put together some good laws. They're trying to get them, and they're finding that uh, they're getting opposition from the Republicans. Mm -hmm. No, <laughs> that never happens. <laughs> they're finding key Republicans who are helping to kill this legislation that would start to straighten these things out. Okay. And um, are they going to—I don't know if we would know, but can, you, can we speculate on what chances legislation has of passing through despite um, mm. resistance? I guess we can. It huh? is. Uh, yeah. Uh, we can speculate, of course, because <laughs> we have freedom of speech. But, yeah. boy, how—I'll uh, tell you, it is, it, it is a real battle. Um, mm. Uh, uh, 
to, to try to do that. Yes. What, what are the reasons that the Republicans, I guess they're saying there's nothing to, right? That seems to be the narrative uh, that it's unwarranted to keep for, uh, going forward. Is that, is, that seems to be the very genetic. Well, generic. there's quite a, there are quite a few narratives in there. Yeah. One of them is don't investigate because you're not going to find anything. Well, we're looking at these investigations and now, whether it be this thing that we've discussed here at some degree, at some mm -hmm. length, about the paper, but there are also some other, there are quite a few other things that come out in that report. Yeah. Uh, and I could, uh, uh, and it's just amazing how the liberal news media could pick and choose this one sentence that, uh, but like you had also mentioned, what about the corrupted images? Mm -hmm. um, was it 230,000 or something to that degree? 215,000? It was quite a few. I forgot yeah. the exact number. But let me, how about if I explain that process? Sure. It's a little complicated, but what happens in an optical scan mm -hmm. system? Now, at least with the optical scan system, you have a piece of paper that was marked by the voter. Mm -hmm. you, if you can go back to that and you can hand count that, then you, you've got something meaningful. Uh, obviously, uh, you can always check the chain of custody or whatever. But many people are not aware of how these optical scan systems work, and I'll give just a little briefing on it. That is, the first thing that happens is that it does a scan and it takes an image. It's like a picture, so to uh. speak. Now, this is where the really intelligently written uh, computer programs are quite valuable because it then can tell which circles were filled in or you know where it was marked, whether it was with a circle or with a line or an mm. X or whatever. It can then tell which one was which. That is where it then builds a thing called a cast vote record in most of the systems. That's what they call it as a cast vote record. And the cast vote record is where they have parsed on down and they have, because you've also programmed it to know what it's looking for, but that's where it will say, well, on the vote for president, this particular ballot was to, to vote for Smith or for Jones or someone like that. Mm -hmm. And that then becomes the cast vote record has it's what they call comma delimited. And that's how it actually keeps track that in position one, we've got uh, choice number three, comma. Uh, and then <laughs> you see, and, and, and that, is, uh, that is something that is much more easily read by a machine. Mm -hmm. And that is the, um, the cast vote record is then the thing that is more easily processed and counted into ballots. Okay. Now, what was missing or what, or what is criticized in the uh, Arizona uh, article or, or, you know, or in their report is that many of those images were either missing or corrupted. The images, that initial picture of yeah. the ballot, because it's that initial picture of the ballot that people can look at and people can be viewing it and looking at it on a screen and they can discern what the voter intended. Right. Now, okay. how could all those ballots, right. how could all those images be corrupted? Yeah. 284,000 were corrupt or missing. That's what we reported. Yeah. That's, Two, isn't, that's, that's above the margin of victory, is that? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's pretty significant. So how come, how come we're, we're making a big deal about this? That seems like a, as an objective person, you know, you're, you're, an, ana you're an analysis, your background is an analysis. How could somebody just overlook that or not consider that as a major point of concern and say, you know what, that's not right. You know, that, why are so many, I mean, does that not equate, is there no possible way that those could equate to fraud? 
Is that would that well contend? You, you can never say that. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're correct. I mean, I'm, I'm going to agree with you based with all these ifs and nots and whatever, yeah, and basically what say do, huh? that that is something that should not be allowed. That has to be a headline. Mm-hmm. Is that and and another option is to go back and find out: Can we reconstruct those images? Can we find the original ballots? Yeah, and then reconstruct those images just by running it through that counter again, and you know, take the image, make the cast vote record, then process the like yeah. I had described. Why aren't they? I mean, there are all kinds of why aren't they doing whatever? Because right. there's so many things that weren't done. And if this were being done in public rather than under these non-disclosure agreements, if this had been done in public, we could have had those cameramen out there and the reporters following them with the microphones saying, "Hey, why aren't you guys trying to reconstruct?" those corrupted ballot images because you did have paper, didn't you? Right. Uh, yeah, they so, should have been. So in Arizona, there's movement, but there's a wall. And that it's, you know, the people haven't forgotten. The people are working to, to, to restore elections and whatnot. They're, all, they're being stymied. But obviously, this isn't something that's gone away. What about another popular, uh, another state that was really you know, in the middle of this mess is Wisconsin. Uh, where are we recording? Where JBS headquarters in? No, not that it matters. But uh, what's going on there? Well, uh, again, uh, I just had a chance to see uh, Justice Gableman's report, which is rather lengthy. Michael Gableman's report, yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, and I'm going to call him Mr. Justice, <laughs> which sure. I think is one of those official titles you're supposed to give to judges. And I think in his case, he's quite deserving because he went in uh, into this thing himself, and he, he even noted in his report, one of the things I ran across in there, was they found some nursing homes with a 100% voter turnout. Yeah, wow. And That's a very active, politically active nursing home there. Uh, especially considering that he put in his report that some of those people were declared incompetent yeah. uh, and other such things. Uh, I think I saw a clip of that. Uh, some, uh, some whistle, I wouldn't call them whistleblowers, like the the children of this lady, she was, I don't know, 90, 100, and they, they sat beside her and it says she voted. And she was, she was basically comatose. I mean, she was yeah. just, you know, she was, she was not there, but somehow she managed to vote and fill out everything. And obviously that didn't happen. Now, I think in this case, you probably have the advantage of being closer because I live in Texas, of course, and uh, you, maybe your local news covered that, but that didn't. No, that, I don't that think didn't so. make it. <laughs> that liberals did not put that on the mm-hmm. did not put that on the television in Texas. <laughs> no, no, I don't think I don't think I saw it on major media. I don't know where I saw it. It was, it was a clip, but but I think that in Wisconsin that uh, I I also believe that this is a very good start. What Michael Gableman, or Mr. Justice Gableman is doing, has done, and, and is doing, is that it looks to me like he is actually doing a real investigation. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to comment about investigations uh, at one time in our elections, because that's one thing that I have studied rather well is America's electoral history, okay. the elections in this country. At one time, you, it used to be possible, especially in Congress, they actually had a, a committee in Congress up until about 1947, I think it was, around there, where anybody who who contested a congressional uh, or wished to contest a congressional campaign could go to this committee and you would get a report that would say basically no you're all wet you don't you know we we've looked at this and it's not good we don't believe you goodbye or 
to the point like some investigations that have been run by the United States Congress that have said, hey, look, things have gone wrong. And uh, I have a couple of copies. I have a, a few of them uh, here. I may have to go searching for them. I'd, I'd like to hear some examples of where investigations have determined that things have indeed gone wrong in the elections because the way the talk the narrative is today is that this never happens to the point where it matters, right? To swing an election to what? But that's not necessary. That's not true, is it? Well, the correct. First, I'm going to agree with you. But then I'm also going to say, even if it doesn't swing an election, it's still illegal. Right. It is still illegal, and any illegal activity deserves to be investigated. And this idea of saying something is a moot point. Hmm. That's only true if you're discussing one narrow piece of it, which is whether or not it's too late to seat you in Congress after you've made your complaint. Mm-hmm. Maybe that might be a moot point if, it, if for some reason these people drag these investigations out, which is another problem that I have. We, should be, we, we can run them more quickly. But like, for example, this is a report. This is a photocopy of it. Um, but I, by the way, I had the I went to a professional copying service and had a searchable PDF made of it, which I just give to people on a thumb drive if they want to see this report. And you say, this is the way we used to investigate elections. And maybe the people in Arizona could get away from just using the word uh, forensic and instead say old-fashioned. Maybe (laughs) let's do it the old-fashioned way. Because when the United States Congress looked at the uh, the 1868 uh, presidential election in New York City. They produced this report. Uh, this mm. <laughs> this what presidential election was that, by the way? Uh, that was uh, Grant and uh, General oh. Grant and yeah versus uh, whoever he was. He won, right? <laughs> Grant won. Uh, and I'm sorry. I'm it's okay. It's okay. We know who won. Go on. It was well. Uh, yes. Um, but or what, maybe he did it. Is that yeah. what you're saying? <laughs> no, no, no. This was New York, and and this carried for the uh, the see that they, they stayed away from mentioning. This is really great. They stayed away from mentioning uh, the candidates, mm. getting into the emotion because that that puts people with their blinders on and yeah. all that. And but they started looking at the repeaters, and they started saying uh, they found one repeater. A repeater, by the way, is a person who votes repeatedly in an election. Mm. This is, you might as well learn some of the terminology these days. Bring them on. Um, the repeater. So they found one of the repeaters. They found the repeaters had voted anywhere from two to 40 times in that election. So they found at least one man, and these were all men back then voting, but they found at least one who voted 40 times in that election. So that's the kind of an election that, that that's the kind of an election investigation that they used to do. They would go. There's another one too, is that they then started going up the food chain Where to find out who were the leaders of this. Was this the Tammany Hall issues here? Well, um, yes, you're right. This was in the era of Tammany Hall, and this investigation, I am sure, was part of what helped to lead to the fall of Tammany Hall. Well, that's a good success story, right? Well, yes, indeed it is. It's one where they did not change the outcome of the election. They, they, even though they proved there, they came up with uh, quite a few good estimates, and they called them estimates. And I think that's the right word to use. Mm-hmm. But with the estimates that they had, 
uh, they had then said, this is how many fraudulent votes we believe were cast in New York City. And also, they said, some other places in New York also had some problems. Nothing like the New York City problems. Right. But then they also said, we believe there are quite a few. They, they came up with that. That's a good investigation. And it's a little different from Arizona in that they've actually identified certain people who did the most. They've also identified who they started identifying who the leaders were. Yeah. And you see, that's when you start. And I think that's one of the reasons why these people do not want a good investigation and say, this is not forensic. This is old fashioned. I'm going to put in my vote for old fashioned (laughs) rather than forensic audit. But to say, do it the old-fashioned way, identify who the worst repeaters were, identify Mm -hmm. who the worst of the little guys were, but then start going up the food chain to the leadership. Because here's another investigation. (laughs) I have another one over here. And this was the one in the New York City frauds in 1838 and 1839. So this is quite a ways away, kind of quite an old time. But the fact is, the real brains behind the election frauds in there was... Colonel Swift, who was also the retired mayor of Philadelphia, because the Philadelphia people were teaching the New York City people mm-hmm. how to commit these frauds and get away with it. And you start finding out who were the brains behind it. Yeah. And so that's. Uh, I'm seeing two themes play out here. First of all, election fraud has always been mm-hmm. an issue. I, mm-hmm. Most people have known that. Secondly, it almost says, are you suggesting or is. Is the path forward not going to include so much as a reversal or writing what has happened as much as it would include paving a way that will we in which a, a, a future in which we can avoid this this kind of corruption and fraud in elections? <laughs> wow, you, you've opened it right up, and 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 you've you, you've you've talked about what the John Perch Society is all about. When Mr. Welch said, "We are an educational army, fighting with facts. Education is our only strategy. Truth is our only weapon," and that's what you need is the truth. You you need those facts because then you know if you you know if if you've never done an autopsy, you can't call yourself a doctor, and that's the sad. It's one of the sad facts about certain things. But I'd also like to point to another old-fashioned, if you'll excuse my, for my <laughs> instead of forensic, I'm going to call them old-fashioned. We've determined we're going to go with old-fashioned. That's but quite all right. I also so. have one that really shocked the nation, because this is a grand jury report from 1908 um, in Chicago. They, they, they investigated. There you go. They, they a bastion of non-corruption, right? <laughs> <laughs> and they... Uh, what happened was here that they uh, they actually uh, they, um, they they looked at the Democratic primary of that August and oddly enough this thing was um, was uh, was released in November of 2008 exactly 100 years to the day before the 2008 presidential election when Chicago politician. Barack Obama was elected mm-hmm. president. How's that for irony, huh? Yeah, how's that for irony? But in here, and I might need my glasses a little bit when I uh, look at this, but uh, some of the quotations from this, this is what we found. They had like fraudulent registrations because fraudulent voter registrations can be the basic fund, one of the basic fundamental building blocks, the, the foundation upon which um, it, uh, uh, election fraud starts in many cases. 
But this is what they said. Almost universally, we found the persons immediately responsible for many of said election frauds to be men holding elective office and men holding responsible subordinate positions in the service of elected or appointed county officials and, of course, paid by the taxpayers. Out of such facts grow the creation and continuation of offices serving no other purpose than to draw salaries from the taxpayers for assumed public services, but in fact used to pay for venal services rendered to party bosses. This is the kind of a, this is old-fashioned investigation. That doesn't happen anymore, does it? I do not know of any such thing. All I can say is don't look because you won't find anything mm -hmm. versus when they did look, look at what they did find. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to... Um, what else you got, Kurt? It looks like you're going to go show me something yeah. else. <laughs> well, I, I was, I was going to want to head back because okay, we started on yes. Wisconsin. Okay, I, I just yeah. want to know, was there anything else you wanted to mention about that investigation before we move on? Um, I know we're kind of all over the place, but it's all in, the, it's all in that <laughs> pen, so we're okay. I, I think that what is going on right now is really good. The, and what they've got in their preliminary report uh, is already, I, I think, showing us that, that there's more to come. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more. What about anywhere else, Pennsylvania, Georgia, a anything going on there? And, uh, and then we could, I'd also like to go into some of the laws we uh, states have passed. Uh, my understanding is you're not too thrilled with, these, with some of these election integrity laws or, or laws uh, posing as that. They're not actually, mm -hmm. in your estimation, it, they're not as good as they should be in doing what they're supposed Absolutely. to do. Absolutely. Now, I'll give you an example. I think in Georgia, what's probably going to be uh, the best, uh, and it's also related to Wisconsin, is there's a movie that's about to come out called 2,000 Mules. No kidding. And talking about these unattended drop boxes. Mm -hmm. And these unattended drop boxes, and uh, they're, they are claiming, I haven't seen the movie yet, but when this movie comes out, we're going to take a look and see how many, how many ballots from nowhere were cast. How many ballots from nowhere? And, of course, my other question is, why aren't we finding those people who supposedly voted? Because that happened in 1948 in the, in the Texas primary runoff where 200 votes suddenly appeared out of nowhere, and they went to those 200 people. See, because back then you had to sign in in the order in which the voters appeared. And so the last 200 ballots that were cast corresponded to 200 names of 200 voters who showed up in alphabetic order. Yeah, that was the and, Lyndon Johnson uh, race, right? Yes, and with the same blue pen and in the same handwriting. And the uh, and Governor Stevenson, Coke, uh, Coke Stevenson, mm -hmm. uh, started going to these people, and uh, they got things like any, any, anywhere from, uh, uh, no, I did not vote, to I'm afraid to talk. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's pretty well established that that was that was a fraudulent election. I, it, you look even on the Internet, basic Internet, you, you look at that election and it's pretty uh, it's the way it's the narrative is that LBJ stole that. Well, it's pretty I well established. I rented a, a little DVD that I found in an archives and the election judge himself did finally confess after party boss Parr died mm -hmm. and after Lyndon Johnson had died and before he did died he went ahead and he let it be known he said yes we stole it and said yes we did add the 200 yes we did okay so good isn't ahead. there uh didn't Parr actually commit suicide 
Or is that someone else involved in that invest in that uh, issue? I don't believe Parr did. Okay. There were, there were some suspicious deaths also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm mixing them up. Yeah, the book A Texan Looks at Linden mm. um, has has a chapter devoted to just yeah. that election. Yes, uh, there were some other suspicious deaths though. So, so two thousand mules. I've actually never heard of this. This is coming out. This is strictly about the Georgia aspect of the two thousand. Uh, no. No, it, it deals with uh, Wisconsin, too, as I understand, um, and with many other states, talking about where they, wherever there were these unattended drop boxes, mm-hmm. and then this is how the people, and, and they traced the people via their, uh, so this, this information that we at the John Birch Society are saying, look out, folks, your privacy is being invaded. Every now and then, yeah. I guess it works out to our advantage. Yeah. But they were able to get public records via the people's cell phones. They were able to find uh, information out about where they were going, and hmm. that it, was that. But now let's talk about the legislation because yes. people were tricked into thinking that the law that was passed in Georgia – was an election integrity bill, and it was an anti-election integrity bill. And I'll give you an example of one part of it in particular. They established now, legally, a minimum number of unattended drop boxes in Georgia. Whereas before? There weren't any legally, except there was a court order to Mm. try to get them started. Yeah. There was was a court that legislated from the bench, I guess, Mm. that that you would have to do this. And... uh, and it was amazing because there was, uh, I think there was a, uh, a very clever reverse psychology play uh, to make it look like there was opposition. Yeah. But if you want to find out when the liberals are really opposing a bill, you talk to the people in Arizona and, and the different ways that they have of killing these bills that are being put forward by the people who are really trying to change the electoral process in Arizona because what happened in Georgia is the liberals just rolled over and played dead and then pretended that he cried a few alligator tears. But yeah. if you'll take a look at that, we have a similar problem in Texas with our uh, voter law, with, with, the, with the one that was passed, SB1, that was passed uh, last year. Um, it, again, is an anti-election integrity bill disguised as an election integrity bill. That is really a serious problem right now. And it's caused by the fact that the electorate has no longer been educated in their schools as to about these old elections and how they got cleaned up. Mm -hmm. Well, how are they anti? Because I think uh, the argument would go, well, any any restrictions or any any steps towards securing is better than no steps. But you're saying by saying anti, you're kind of saying that even when in reverse. Uh, yes. I think lots of people may take issue with that. So can you ex- uh, expand on that? Well, uh, for one example, um, like in, in, in the Texas bill, they've got uh, – they have just, just a, a casual reference to where countywide voting is being used, such and such, could happen. Mm. Well – now, in, in Texas, we have a movement, and it's actually one of the top platform planks in the uh, Democratic Party's uh, party platform, mm-hmm. is to uh, replace voting uh, in the uh, precincts with voting uh, in voting centers. And right now, they want countywide voting centers. Mm, now, the next not- step could be statewide. 
uh, which would allow for uh, uh, which which would allow for uh, people in um, El Paso mm-hmm. to cast 200 ballots for for a mayoral race in Houston. <laughs> so <laughs> so knows? they want to get away from the precincts to the larger centers to the voting centers. Now, how is that a step towards securing elections? It isn't. It's it's the opposite. It, it it's an anti-election integrity. See, the whole idea of a precinct is you've got things under control. Uh, even if you don't recognize everybody who walks in, mm-hmm. if you vote in a precinct and uh, and we suddenly find out that, that some people are casting these ballots illegally for, for whatever reason, yeah. we know exactly who was responsible. Who was the election judge on duty at that day? There's one person. Yeah. All right. Who was the clerk who authorized, who, who said that your ID was valid, even though we've never heard of you, even though there is no record, right. whatever, of that. Well, there's only four or five people who were there. So you could root out the problem easier, these precincts. Yes. So what is their justification if they're saying, well, we're going to secure our elections, and the way we're going to do that is uh, we're going to make sure that everyone votes in these bigger areas where, uh, you know, where there's tons of people working them, and, and you, you're going to have a harder time identifying the problem if there is problems. I, I, I have a hard time. What is their justification for that? Well, the biggest justification is convenience. And I'd Not love, accuracy. That is correct. <laughs> well, that is correct. But, you know, I'd like to talk about convenience. And uh, one of the things is, and this was a few years ago in a New American article, mm-hmm. we, uh, I had a chance to talk to who's now retired, but he was the Secretary of State in the state of New Hampshire, uh, William Gardner. Secretary Gardner and I had a nice conversation about this, and I had told him. And he said, uh, uh, did you know that the two largest precincts in the United States are in New Hampshire. See, because in New Hampshire, they do it by town. And unless you're a fairly large city like Manchester, Mm -hmm. where I used to live in the 12th Ward, (laughs) um, where they had 12 wards or 12 precincts, if you like. Uh, But he found uh, Londonderry, the town of Londonderry, which is no longer a little town in Hudson. They each process, because they don't have early voting in New Hampshire, and they each process 12,000 voters a day without having long lines. Catch that. How can you get 12,000 voters voting on election day and not have long lines? How? Well, the first thing is when you walk in, if your name begins with A through C, you go in this line and there's a sign up above it. Mm -hmm. And then if you're D through F, you're in this line and they do it on paper. How's that? Isn't that awful? Old-fashioned, huh? Yeah. They, uh, oh, that's a good idea. I should have thought of that. Anyway, hey, but uh, all seriousness, that is how they process the people that quickly. Whereas in Texas, when you go in, like when I go into my place, there's the initial bottleneck, the initial bottleneck that you run into. That's just is, the first one, huh? There's yes. More? <laughs> yes, is, is where you check in because they have to use a computer, and the computer— it's supposed to be fast, I know, but the computer will then check to be sure that you're a valid voter. Mm-hmm. And uh, then when the uh, computer does that, then it comes back and says, yes, you are a valid voter. Then they say, okay, now you can go to the next place in line. Well, that forms everybody to have to go through this one check. That's that's their first bottleneck. Right. And then uh, now we're kind of doing away with that because we're giving people optical scan ballots. And at least 
when you cast your ballot in an optical scan machine, you tie up the machine for just a few seconds. You know, mm. you, maybe your ballot gets rejected and you have to make a change, whatever. Right. But for most ballots, and it's done in a few seconds. That's not a bad bottleneck. But the other way they used to do it, when the people had to vote on these individual machines, that, was, that also became a bottleneck because you tied up the machine the entire time you were making your choices. Um, I'd also like to talk about something. I guess we're straying off the topic maybe, but I'd like to talk about how some of these things that are, that are taking away our uh, voter, our election integrity, things that are weakening our election integrity are being sold to people as things that are improvements in, ele- in I election. I think that fits right in where we are now because you're saying that that's exactly what you're saying. So <laughs> they're passing these things off as election integrity, but you're saying they're not. That's what I'm saying, and I'm putting my reputation on the line, but I'm also going to say I was right in 1986, and you ought to see the heat that I took in 1986 just for suggesting the paper trail. (laughs) Three decades later, you got vindication. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get the real vindication and put our elections back on track. But I'll give you another one of these new modern things that we're using in Texas that also helps as part of this bottle. That's what reminded me of it is part of the bottleneck is because they then have to call up and see a picture on the screen of what your signature looks like. Because mm-hmm. they, they will pick that up and they'll put it on the screen in front of you and then they'll compare that to your signature. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've already checked your ID. In this case, hopefully they have. But, um, but, but now this is supposedly an increase, in the, uh, an improvement in the uh, election integrity. Mm-hmm. Well, now obviously I'm going to say that I think there's a difference. And I'll tell you where, where I see that as a tremendous flaw that would bring that could be exploited, and if it does, we could have all kinds of ballots cast that look valid all the way down to the signatures. The first thing I'm going to say is this: any computer system that can go fetch your signature from your voter record and display it on a screen can also take that signature and apply it as an electronic signature to a document that said you voted. That may not be your document. That may not be authentic. You might not even be a real person. Yeah. Wow. Has that happened? Do we have any any convictions or any evidence that that's happened? It's too new. It's too new a Mm. technology. But I'm going to make the statement that is a security weakness. That is a vulnerability that can be exploited. I'm making that statement. That, that's the way I said it in 1986. I said, look out, because that's, that's the part I specialize, analyzing yeah. systems. I actually worked as a systems analyst, too. I didn't mm-hmm. just teach it. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any measures, election integrity measures, that states have taken? We read in the media, they're, you know, the, the, the leftists are, are crying tears and, and hooping and hollering that mm-hmm. it's the end of democracy. You know, you've seen it all. <laughs> because And this is a republic, not a democracy. Let's right. keep it that way. <laughs> but the way they are, they are hollering and, and whining and whatnot, it, I would think it's hard for people to believe it's like that can't not be some sort of election integrity. Are there any states, any measures that haven't been implemented since 2020? And we know there have been quite a few that's been implemented, but that have, have any of them satisfied your uh, your gauge, your your mark for what would actually constitute securing elections. We, we've done a few in Texas because I read that some of these bills are like 80 pages long, and then they come up with a new version. And 
whoever made the changes isn't saying, by the way, these are the six changes that we made. And so I have to find myself mm. scanning through these things to find them. We did have... Good thing you're retired, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd like to let you know what happened when I retired. Uh, uh, I got my stuff packed up. I had finished my last working time in Chicago. I came up here to Appleton and said, I'm ready to become a full-time John Birch Society volunteer. And uh, <laughs> that's what... Uh, that's the way it's been. But that is an, another uh, thing. Uh, but I have looked um, in Texas, and we have put a few uh, a, a few improvements into our bill. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think. One of them was with uh, with uh, with having uh, cameras uh, photographing, uh, like at some of the um, uh, central count places where for counties above a certain size. Uh, at least there will be a, a, a video camera of, mm-hmm. of what is going on in there. Okay, so that's which, an improvement. Huh? And yeah, because that was very useful in Georgia when yeah. we saw when the people got kicked out uh, because of a fictitious water leak, and then all of a sudden ballots came out from under a table. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was in Fulton County over there. Yes, uh, and that, that's what the camera showed anyway, or at least the, unless no one, I believe, has ever explained anything any different than that. There are... Um, there are a few other little, but mostly they are the little things. The mm-hmm. where, like where people are really trying to improve the process yeah. in Arizona. You don't hear the alligator. You don't hear the alligator tears. You don't hear that kind of stuff. Instead, they're working behind the scenes mm-hmm. to uh, to to find Republicans to oppose it and to do those things. And rather than uh, doing uh, these publicity stunts with the alligator tears like they did in Georgia and in Texas when they've actually uh, used that as a reverse psychology to actually uh, help the uh, anti-election integrity bills to get passed. Would you agree that there is lots of movement on the election integrity movement? I know that I speak to our folks on the ground where our coordinators and even some of our chapter leaders and, and they're involved the few that I do speak to, they are involved, they're getting together, they're meeting in groups, and then they're organizing to restore elections on the local level. Are you seeing that? Yes. Uh, Yes, and let me tell you what it was like in 1986. In 1986, when I am the man, until someone goes up with a date earlier than August the 14th of 1986, until then I'm gonna say that I am the originator of the paper trail movement. mm -hmm. When I talked about these problems in 1986, um, only a handful of people were really interested. They said, that's a pretty good little thing that you've done. You've done some research. You've obviously thought this thing through, (laughs) but it doesn't really sound important. Um, And that's the way it was up until about two years ago, for the most part. People would say, okay, yeah, you know, you've you've thunk it through, (laughs) but we don't know. That's astounding. That's a sta- that's 34 years later. Yes, that's crazy. And how many years when only the when only magazines like the New American would would even entertain yeah. listening to me. But now in the last 2 years, ever since the 2020 general election, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, I met um I met a man, I was out walking because I'm I'm an exercise walker and I get out and and I met this fellow, and it seemed like a nice, and he's an awfully intelligent fellow. And I said, yeah, it was a very nice man to talk to. He was retired. Turns out he was like a, a doctor in the Navy or something like that. And it was a great man to talk to. I said, well, I'm involved in my local um, 
political party. <laughs> well, I guess I can say that, uh, even though we're not trying to endorse any political party, but I'm active in the Republican Party in mm-hmm. Denton County, Texas. And, and I told him that. And the first question that he asked me is, what did I believe really happened in the election in 2020? First question. This used to be the thing that people would say, yeah, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong, but it's probably not of any consequence. Now I'm hearing from people, the first thing they want to know is, are you going to clean up elections? Are you going to do something about the election? That's how much it has changed. For the record, do you believe there was massive election swinging fraud? Uh, Well, I'm on the spot. Yes. Yes, I really do. But I'm also going to say what we really need to do is investigate. Mm -hmm. We need to investigate. But we need a real investigation. The, the old, I'm going to say old-fashioned investigation. There we go. And we Not have, forensic. Not necessarily forensic. Uh, but the old-fashioned ones, the ones where they went ahead and they dug down deep and yeah. identified the repeaters, and they called them repeaters. They Kurt, even talked that. Let's finish with this. Okay. We have put together some, some tools. The John Birch Society has put together some tools for Restore, our Restore Election Integrity Action Project. Uh, you are the main uh, expert behind what we put together. So let's quickly run through what would actually secure our elections. Let's, let's lay it on that. We have a few steps. We figured out ways to simplify it. So let's run through that and then finish up here. Okay. I wish I had my uh, – well, we, we have a little Slim Jim people have with nine ways. That yeah. they, but let's – some of them in particular. First one is to open up the process, is to let people walk on in. Because like in Texas, uh, they actually tightened, unfortunately, this recent bill, tightened up the requirements to make it more difficult to get to be an election observer. You have to get appointed as an election observer. Mm-hmm. You have to um, uh, uh, go through a special course that the Secretary of State now has working online, and they don't have a guidebook to it. You just go through the whole thing interactively, mm-hmm. and I get a certificate that's going to expire on August 31st. Right. Okay. That only allows me for the next couple of months to be. Now, okay. It used to be years ago, there was no appointment required. You could just walk in and watch the election and mm-hmm. see what's going on for yourself. Uh, that would be uh, one, one of them. Okay. So to open them up so that uh, people could do it. We should repeal both the Motor Voter Bill and the HAVA, mm-hmm. two federal election laws, both of which, in my opinion, are actually unconstitutional. They managed to make them look constitutional. They managed to convince some courts of it. Yeah. But we need to repeal those two bills. Motor voter, which is – motor voter is a lot worse. It's even yeah. worse than, 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 than automatic voter registration uh, for people who are applying for welfare or for driver's licenses in that motor voter also has stuff in there that forbids election cleanup mm. within 90 days of when an election begins. So um. anybody who registers to vote, any voter registrations that are less than 90 days old can't be cleaned off when once the election begins. That's yeah. That sounds counterintuitive there. That's counterproductive there, right? That's, yes, it is. It seems like the opposite of what you would want if you want to secure And most election. people don't even know that those are in there. That, that those provisions are in that bill. Yeah, uh, yeah. And the HAVA is the one that forced the people to buy okay. all this expensive equipment, and that, much of which doesn't have a paper trail. Um, what about absentee uh, ballots and absentee voting? Oh. Same-day voting and all that. Yeah, same-day voter registration, I think you mean. But yeah. uh, same-day, yeah. 
But you're right. We want to do away. Thank you for reminding me of all these things into here. But we want to do away with same-day voter registration. You know, if you can't figure out 30 days before an election that you ought to, that you're eligible, maybe you're Maybe, maybe you should be voting, huh? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, if I can say that. But uh, but, but that would be do away with same day voter registrations. Um, do away with no excuse absentee balloting. Right. Uh, also, do away with early voting. Like say in New Hampshire, they can do twelve thousand people in a day without having long lines. But for some reason in Texas, we have found these inefficient ways, and then yeah. said, "But we have a solution. We'll have early voting." My hunch is that just as they found those repeaters who were able to vote mm. 40 times in one day, which is really something in New York. I would say so, yeah. yeah. That's now, impressive. Yeah, it actually is. It actually is. But, but back to the point, I think those are the repeaters. And it looks like, uh, based on what I see coming out of the trailer, I haven't seen the mm-hmm. 2000 Mules movie yet, but it, 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 uh, they're, they're using a number like $10 a vote. Uh, but, of mm. course, if you can cast multiples of them, uh, multiple $10 bills. When they stack up, they add up. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, do away with early voting. We really don't need early voting. Right. If you really have an excuse, good. That's an excused absence. But uh, unex- do away with the unexcused absentee ballots uh, as well as do away with early voting. And uh, <laughs> What about paper ballots? Have some sort of paper trail, right? That's kind of how we started oh, this I've, whole thing. Oh, uh, I've <laughs> come back full circle. It, yes, uh, I... Um, I uh, <laughs> I do advocate for the paper trail. I said so in 1986. Yeah, and um, I I haven't changed you, my opinion since. <laughs> you have you actually have um, well you have an alternative if for instance that is impossible, right? What is that scan? There's some sort of scan that you uh, you advise be used if uh, we can't. I guess if well that's can't. the optical scan type mm. ballot for the the best way to do these ballots and and I is to vote is to count the votes by hand is to mark them by hand and count yeah. them by hand i'd also like to add that if because i've actually worked when i was teaching that course and i started doing my studies i volunteered i and uh, i was able to become a vote counter in my town i lived in a town of Ware in new hampshire and these people really welcomed me and said you want to study this process from the inside we're going to work with you yeah. And I became a ballot counter so that we would count the ballots. And if you have enough pairs of ballot counters, because they tried to get one Repub- they tried to pair Republican and Democrat wherever possible. Mm-hmm. But we had these long tables, and we counted the ballots, and the public was allowed to watch. It might be about six feet away from us. There was yeah. a roped-off area, and there was a police officer hanging around yeah, too. Yeah. Um, this should, is that sounds reasonable. Yeah, very reasonable, isn't it? But if you have enough pairs of vote counters, you will get the ballots counted in an hour to an hour and a half. You will, because they know how to do it. And they would check at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. They had their pairs of ballot counters that they knew. They said, no matter what, we're going to bring in maybe five pairs or six pairs of Mm -hmm. ballot counters. Then we held people in reserve. And then at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, they said, what's our voter turnout probably going to be at 7 tonight? Because if it's going to be a high turnout, you'll know by 2 o'clock. Terrific. And then you bring in enough of them. You bring them in. You get them all counted. This idea of counting until the next day, the longer these things take, the more time and room for time transporting them to other places all these nothing could go wrong then right (laughs) well you ought to read the book i saw poland betrayed because that's where the ambassador arthur bliss lane said boy that was one of the things that that the communists did uh, when they ran their elections but seriously yeah get them count get the get the paper ballots 
And uh, if, you, you, if you assign enough vote counters, you will get them counted by an hour, an hour and a half. If wherever you're going to vote, you've got long lines, long times, if it happens once in a while, that can be an accident, okay? Mm-hmm. But if the elections are run right, they will not happen very often. And if you're being told that the, sorry about the long lines, but we have a solution, it's called early voting. We have a solution, it's called countywide voting. If you have all of those things, no, they're leading you the wrong way. The solution is to, uh, is, is to process the voters efficiently and to count them efficiently and have enough pairs of ballot counters. And it can be done. Thank you, Kurt. Yes, thank you can. so much. We could go on and on, but I think <laughs> yeah. we got to wrap it here. So thank you so much, and uh, we'll see where this goes. Thank you for having me. Thank Absolutely. you. Have you gotten involved in securing our elections yet? If you don't know where to start, check out the John Birch Society Restore Election Integrity Action Project. We define the problem. We provide resources to help you and others understand the issue, and most importantly, we provide ways in which you can get involved. Americans, and Birchers especially, are in the eye of the election integrity storm sweeping the nation. We ask that you join us. So contact your local coordinator to find out more about election integrity activity near you. And always remember that no matter the societal problem, freedom is the cure.